Hello and welcome to another episode of the Roach Coach Podcast, the journey to create the new metal canon. My name is Lauren Kozlowski. With me, as always, is the Indigo Angel, Jennifer Sosha. Hello. And the original Roach Rider, Mr. Matt Nas. Keep it rolling, baby. There we go. Ladies and gentlemen, we're here with you today. Start of December 2020. It's been a year. No one will disagree. And we felt what better way to close out this year than with some gifts. So this month, all three of us have picked a greatest hits from an artist we really like from any genre to, to deliver to you with their greatest hits album. And Matt, you are starting off this month for us with what album, what band? My beloved friends. Today, we are listening to Greatest Fits, the band Ministry. Oh, boy. We're going to get all into this record. I'm very excited, very excited to talk industrial with you, Matt and Jenny. And before we get into this, which is really a whole lot, we're going to be getting a whole lot. I hope you all are ready. I hope you got your goggles. I hope you got your leather boots. I hope you're ready. I hope you have your goggles. You better have them goggles. Hey. Before we get... Protect your eyes. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta protect your eyes. But before we get to that, we've gotta take a quick moment to talk about who's tweeting. Who's tweeting? Who is? And more importantly, Jenny, who's in those DMs? Lighten up in. I'll tell you who. It's the Metal Roach. We got a message that says, "Hi guys, just to answer the question on Seven Strings and bands that used them before, just to be guitar geeky." The Ibanez Universe guitars Korn started off using were Steve Vai signature guitars. Ibanez released them in the market, but they didn't prove to be popular, so they were discontinued around the time Korn started. Korn came out, and interest in seven strings grew, grew so Ibanez re-released guitars, and the rest is history. Sorry to get all geeky. been playing seven strings myself for the past 12-odd years. And then we get a pick of... What I have to assume is the Metal Roach's guitar, and I did count the strings, and I can confirm that there are seven. Thank you. You mean to tell me? Mm. Yeah, Matt. The, the, the seventh string that we associate with the signature sound of corn yeah, uh -huh. began as a uh, guitar dream boat come... Prog master Steve Vai. Hey. Listen, hey, Steve is a master of the form. Anyone who's heard any of his records knows this. His hands fly across those strings with 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 precision and glee. He is one of the three in the G three tour. Who are the other two? Uh, Steve Petucci and. Oh, I just had him Satch. Joe Satriani. Oh, Joe Satriani. Yep. Okay. Steve Vai. All right. That's that's quite a lineup. Uh so good to know. Also, we got a message from Tyler who said, Just found your podcast and cannot stop listening. Love everything. Thank you. Hope you guys someday check out Level and their self titled album, It's a Lost Gem. Oh my. All okay. right. I think we've Thank heard you. that. I think we've heard that we need to listen to them before. Yes, I believe so. I remember so. because of the stylizing of the name, and I suspect that we someday will. I believe so. 
Jam Hansley reached yes. out. He says, you guys should do Limp Biscuit: The Unquestionable Truth, Part 1. I fucking guarantee you we will. <laughs> that is... That is a surefire guarantee. I don't even have to say we probably will. We're going to do it. Definitely. (laughs) That's happening. That's happening. Do not worry. Uh, So thank you uh, all for sliding into those DMs. Much appreciated. Oh, wait. I'm sorry. We got another DM. We got another DM from Rob Adams who said, can't remember if you did a non-US new metal theme month, but should revisit if you do Aquame or Aquame from France. Mentioned in the early days, maybe more alt metal, but interested in the gang's take. Well, I'm going to have to figure out how to pronounce that name. But yeah, I believe they're on the long list. Yeah, I mean, I mean that's not a bad idea for a theme month uh, of just all foreign bands. Get out of the U.S. for a little bit. We gotta kick it outside the states, baby. Gotta get I'd love to. I'd love. I'd love to. We literally cannot <laughs> leave the United States right now, and it's our fault. I yeah, mean, our government, and you know what? A lot of us. A lot, a lot of, of us. us. Hey, us, over your us nose. here on this podcast, we're masking. <laughs> we're masking, baby. We're, masking. we're distancing. We. I can we're, see. The, we're hoping for yeah. a future of mask off. Boom. See what. I did. Oh, I see what you did there. Well done. There we go. I'm going to guess that this band is pronounced Acme. Ooh, I think you're right. I think you're right. I don't know. We'll see. All in International New Month. (laughs) There you go. I love it. Also, we've got to talk about who's emailing. Who's emailing? Well, I'll tell you who. Stephen Bedford's emailing. Subject is, do you think that I could get some... Chicky, chicky. Uh, Dear Roach Coach, over the years, the show has covered the good, the bad, and ugly of all things new, from underrated gems to widely recognized classics, from one-hit wonders to difficult third albums. Your critical gaze has spared no prisoners, fearlessly tackling sacred cows like corn without any fear or favor, and always making the right call, even if it isn't the most popular one. So I'd like to present you with the ultimate new metal challenge. Do you have the courage to stare death in the eye, seize the bull by the horns, and take on a record that nobody has even mentioned in polite company, never mind listened to, since the days of the come down? Will you, Roach Coach, brave the haters and consider the self-titled debut album by Hot Action Cop for the new metal canon? Sticky sticky. Yours, Steve. I don't know what this is. I was not sure what it was i saw this email i googled hot action cop and i saw the album cover and i went oh boy oh boy this is this is trouble and i'm not a hundred percent but i feel like our our good friend rj cash may have recommended this album to us or maybe to me in passing one time I was like, I don't know what that is. And he's like, I think, I think it's new metal. I don't know. And now I've got a picture of these boys up, and I do say boys. Oh, boy. This is a very alien ant farm meets newfound glory look we've got in, on these guys. We've got waterfall bangs. We've got ringer tees. We've got a sports team from some small, obscure um, college you name it, you name a trope from early aughts, um, <laughs> men fashion, and uh, these guys have got frosted tips, 
uh, galore. I have to say, I'm looking over this track list and looking at this album art, and there's, I'm going to say we're probably honing in on 100% chance this album would make me very mad. (laughs) I don't see a way around it. (laughs) There's a song called Club Slut, so uh, going down on it, don't want her to stay, Fever for the Flavor. Now I'm nervous that that is a black sheep cover. Uh. So should we uh, give that one the try? See what which we've got. one is that? Fever for the flavor. Yes, though I will say it seems to be famously bad based on Wikipedia. But... <laughs> oh, now it's on. <laughs> All right, here we go. Do you think that I could get some? Chicky, chicky. Maybe get a little finger. Sticky, sticky. You my electrical elephant flavor. I got to do you till the next song says ya. And can I get a little zip, zip? Looky, looky. Maybe just a little uh, uh. Looky, looky. And what you say? It doesn't matter anyway. You won't do another cause you're getting with me. You got the power. Oh, no, Uchi. I got the fever for the flavor of the cool chi. All right, boy. Wow. <laughs> Steven, how dare you? No, you know what? Know what? Here, credit where it's due. He said in this email, do you have the courage to stare death in the eye, to seize the bull by the horns, and take on a record nobody has ever mentioned in polite company? I I'm gonna say this right now. My how dare you was directly because Listeners of this podcast will know that anytime somebody challenges me or dares me to do something, I have to do it. There's no way around it. Of course, I want to do this record now. Oh, boy. <laughs> I've been right. challenged. Like, it's just, uh, it's, oh, you know? Wolf. All wolf. right. Wolf. Okay. Sticky. Well, yeah. now his sticky, email sticky. makes even more sense. It makes sense now. It's also funny that we're like, I wonder what song we should do. And it turned out to be... The, the one. one. <laughs> the one. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for, I guess, thank you, Steve. <laughs> Thanks for writing for sure. I think Charles Manchin is taking notes on that song. Oh, boy. Oh, oh, boy. All right. Well, okay, there you have it. Hot Action Cop, you're on the long list. All right. Uh, <laughs> oh, boy. And uh, and finally, uh, we did an episode this summer, actually the end of the summer, at the tail end of Side Project Month, and it was all about Jonathan Davis's Black Labyrinth, and we got some feedback. Uh, New Metal Advisory Board said, Corn uh, has been my favorite band since I was 12 years old, and JD was an absolute idol throughout my teen years. That said, I was hesitant listening to this album when it came out. We all remember the monstrosity that was Fieldy's Dreams. I was worried that just like Fieldy's Dreams, JD would be one of those artists that is amazing in a specific band, but solo they just suck. That wasn't until I listened to what it is. That track is still one of my favorite songs. Sure, it's only two years old, but a lot of music has been released since 2018. JD is an interesting guy. He likes some metal, but he naturally isn't a metal guy. He likes so many things that aren't metal or metal related. You can never go into this record and expect it to sound like corn because, like you said, JD is just one piece of what makes corn corn. All that said, I dig it. It's different. It's dark. And it's Jay Z. <laughs> it's JD. <laughs> And metal, <laughs> metal, uh, metal fingers. That would have been a true twist at the it end. It's like yes. Black Labyrinth is actually Jay Z. Wow, the way. what a twist! What a twist! Chad Worrell, uh, 
And I think this was our, in response to our conversation about which, uh, maybe which member of Limp Biscuit we would be. Uh, Chad says, Lauren, Fred, the hype man, the front man, Jenny, Wes, reluctantly on the new metal journey way longer than expected and now has made peace with that. Matt, the angel, Prowlar, Fieldy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baby. Oh, Prowlar, I need you to to watch your idols a little bit there but what do you mean maybe well feel the uh, i think he's violent with the women so gotta go <laughs> yeah that's uh, okay that's some that's something to think about something to think about uh garrett fuller asked where do i get my official roach coach new metal goblet uh this is of course in reference to the fact that jd's album is goblet drinking music and I guess my question is, Jenny, I know Mitch is great with shirts. How is he? <laughs> metallurgy. With, with metallurgy, yes. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm not sure, but maybe maybe I'll need him to get into smithing of some kind. Do you, you got to get the into goblet? the goblet trade. Yeah, that's true. There's money to be made in big gob, so <laughs> maybe we'll look into that for a, a 2021 situation. We'll, we'll let you know when it's available, Garrett. It'll be handmade. Mike Palladino says, Guys, I love the open door policy. Started a new list, but I have a feeling that it will be over 500 people by the end of the year. I don't think you're wrong. Whoa. I mean, it's the open door policy. We're just going to keep adding to it. We'll find out by the end of this episode. Is Al on the open door policy? We'll find uh, out. I don't know. I don't know book. either. I read the book, so, yeah. Uh, Gareth Davies says, Final Days is a killer track. Serious question on Indian and Eastern-influenced music in general. Given that Canada's The Tea Party started started out in Windsor, Ontario, did you guys ever have any awareness of them in Michigan? They seem almost completely unknown outside of Canada and Australia. And he also says, You can't have an open-door policy for Jared. You know he can't be trusted around Spouths' mouths. The true question is, would the door be open for Aaron Lewis? So a lot going on there. First, I think we discussed this. Oh, the open door policy not applied to Aaron Lewis. Right? Yeah. I, I think the door would be closed to Aaron Lewis. All right. I want to agree with you guys, but let's be real. <laughs> you're right. You're Jenny. right. You're right. Jenny, Jenny you're right. You called us out. You're right. So hard. If You're right. Aaron Lewis walked down my stairs right now, and it's like it's been a while, we'd have been like clapping. We'd have been yeah. like, "He, that's a, Aaron Lewis saying it's been a while." World class, got him. Oh, incredible, incredible, got him. I, mean, I don't know if he's, I don't know if he's capable of it, but yeah. So yeah, so right. yeah, Aaron Lewis, sure, yeah, open door, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a man who seems to have zero zero sense of irony. It's easy to leave the door open when you know someone's not coming, you know? <laughs> That's, true. That's true. That's true. That's very true. I think if anyone has followed the Head PE Facebook uh, for the last couple of years, you know Jared is a happily married man. He's reformed. You can now trust him around any spouse's mouths. So no worries there. The Tea Party. Yeah. I know about the Tea Party. They used mm -hmm. to get a lot of play. Over on the, oh, wow, the now defunct 89X. That's right. All right. Local uh, alternative music stalwart radio station. 
Yeah. It changed format to country, country which yeah. really upset a lot of people. And I got to say, we're all either, we're all like within the swath of 40. And I was like, are we still mad at country? <laughs> like, just. Yeah. Let's oh, yeah. Con- it's fine. <laughs> changed, like, it's it's fine. But it was sad. So sad to see 89X go. 89X break. How important was that radio station to you guys? I would say it was incredibly important to me. I remember when I was starting to seriously start to get into music when I was in middle school. 89X was was one of my... Well, I, had, I, had, I had a a little portable radio that my dad bought, my sister and I, with headphones, which was a big deal. Like the first type of earbud ones. And I had, had five presets on it. And it was like 89X... 101, and 102.7. And within a year of getting that, 98.7 became smooth jazz. Sure did. And then, yeah, things just started shifting around. But 89X, through all of that, I mean, 102.7 was Z-Rock. And for a while, it was 89X and Z-Rock were my top two. And then Z-Rock got bought up by Nugent... Became the bear. Became the bear. Immediate suckage because they wanted to make it both current rock and classic rock. So I'd be listening. I always remember this. They were playing Alice in Chains. I'm feeling great. World-class chains and happening. Oh, world-class chains and happening. I'm, I'm in the zone. I want to say they were playing Grind off of the self-titled. They come out of that, get the station ID, the doors. How fucking dare you? <laughs> How wow. dare you? Fucking dare you. Disgusting. But 89X, through the 90s, man, that shit made me. I mean, I knew all the DJs, knew who all of them were. I've told, throughout this show, I've told all these different stories of, you know, times I've called in and embarrassed myself. Um, I don't know if I've talked about that. I interned for 89X when I was in college. You've never uh, told us this story. Oh, yes. it was It was the summer of 2002. I interned at um, I want to say four or five events. I did a I did a a Weezer Maladroit record release party at I want to say Desirable Disc. I know it no longer exists, and it was uh, it was basically like a Weezer cover band performing. It was just me and the lady who ran promotions. A very nice time. I was incredibly nervous, and um, and then I did. Uh, another Weezer concert it was Weezer with uh, Dashboard Confessional and Sparta. Holy crap! Oh yeah, oh what yeah. A weird lineup. It was also there was I think it was another band, Hometown Hero. I want to say it was the other band. Okay. And uh, yeah, and uh, and I remember having like an incredibly great time at that, but also really learning like how low in the totem pole an intern was. And they telling me to walk around and hand stickers to people, and, and no one wanted an 89X sticker. No one wanted anything to do with me. But I got to meet my radio idol, Vince Canova. He was broadcasting live from that show, and I remember getting to talk to him, and he was incredibly nice and kind to me. And we, uh, yeah, it was a great time. Then I remember I did a Goo Goo Dolls Third Eye Blind concert, and they gave, they, no one wanted to go to that concert when we were done interning it. 
and I didn't want to go by myself, so I didn't go. But I, which I was dumb of me. I should have gone. It's the Jenks. I should have gone. And uh, and then uh, the last one I remember, I may be forgetting some, but I the, my last intern uh, moment with 89X was a tool with Tomahawk at Kobo. And the very nice promotions lady had been promoted, and there was a new woman in charge, and she was, to date, the meanest person I've ever met. <laughs> and and I say that as somebody who recently in my actual job I have now had a job had a boss who was very bad, <laughs> but this lady, she was the worst. And um, I got to see Tool for free. I mean, it was just uh. You know, just an incredibly, I mean, just their, their top nine at nine. That was my destination every weeknight listening to that. And, uh, yeah, just an incredibly important station to me. And while I basically stopped listening in the 2000s because I had either moved away or, or what have you, you know, every time I'd pop back in, I want to see what's going on with 89X. Oh, you can guarantee that they were going to play Jeremy by Pearl Jam. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I think we should all to really replicate 89x now in our lives is just every day play lithium for a week. well i would say every day for a week you should play other side by red hot chili peppers at least three to five times <laughs> i think you should do <laughs> that yeah. sex type thing um yep that that like always that i think that was the trap they were so important to me growing up that was like my in until i mm-hmm. went to the record store and made friends there right. my brother my brother liked depeche mode and new order and we're about to talk about ministry he introduced me to ministry as well so like he kind of liked that but it was 89x that really filled in the gaps like i'd never heard of the psychedelic furs before first time i heard nirvana was on the radio 89x um with pretty much everything sloan first time 89x yep huge um, yeah so like all of all of those early to you know, early 90s bands that became like it was like that radio station launched at the same time nevermind hit and it was like everybody all of a sudden whatever they were listening to stopped listening to it and was like i like alternative now and they were there. And the coolest thing, I mean, I've read a lot of articles about the radio station now. And it is weird to lament a radio station because anybody who's been in radio for more than two minutes will tell you the only thing you can guarantee is that your format will change and you'll get fired. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Like on a long enough timeline, all of them will. And, uh, but boy, they were talk about right place, right time. And they had cool tastemakers. Like they literally had the right program directors and the right people there at that time, they had a five-year stretch where they were un- unfuckwithable. Oh, for sure. And like, I mean, even I, mean, I people- would even think, I mean, I remember getting back to new metal. They backed the new metal train. I heard corn for the first time on 89X on my little, fm radio thing i was i don't think i I don't know if i talked about this on that up i don't know it was 200 plus episodes ago but i distinctly remember one of the first times hearing that song was i took it to the mall where my mom was buying i buying us i think like school clothes and i was just like trying to just 
waste time and they played blind and i was just like oh my god what is this this is incredible and yeah and 89x totally backed it 89x was playing corn 89x was playing well limp biscuit was like an event because yeah when they did that two dollar bill tour 89x backed it and then when significant other came out like the detroit shows were legendary like Mm -hmm. these crazy like the the mtv thing was filmed at the state theater now the Fillmore, um Mm -hmm. and that was where west had that um outfit like that gi that had the light strips but the Mm -hmm. light strips were causing feedback in his guitar and i just remember him going to camera like not now (laughs) (laughs) uh yeah so jenny 89x and you oh that was my station that was like i i can't remember exactly what it was called but i do remember that every night at seven they had a battle between two songs and people would call in and vote a for classic which... pump it or yes. dump it oh mm. man i would call every every single day listen to it top nine at nine absolutely recording stuff onto my tapes from that radio station I didn't have like a cool older brother or cool anybody <laughs> to like show me stuff. So it was like truly kind of like what Lauren was saying, like this was kind of my in until I started like going to the record store and, and learning about music in different ways. But yeah, I mean, that was like, that was pretty much like the, the basis on which I found like I was like this is I think who I'm going to be (laughs) like because I feel like when when I was in school people almost like formed their personality based on the kind of music that they liked. oh yeah and you had to like you could only really be like one kind of person with one kind of music that you liked and so even though that I don't think was actually true of anyone then like I remember feeling like I had to pick a lane but I always liked pop music. I was like rapped music. So like classic rock and everything like that too. But I remember very much being like 89X. Yeah. Like I, I'm oh. an alternative oh, <laughs> so. oh, the bus getting on the bus. And like if, if and now I love 90s R&B, but at the time I wanted nothing to do with it. Oh, so for if, sure. So yeah. if it was on the R&B station, I would be like, what, why don't we play in the next? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I definitely remember the fights on the bus, which usually, I remember the fights on the bus usually ended up on 93.1. And we would be listening. I, I, to I Sarah have McLaughlin? Like, oh, no. This was back when 93.1 was dance. Dance pop. I distinctly remember like LaBouche. And uh, that first Robin, was it like Show Me Love? Is oh, that yeah. the one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was usually what ended up getting played on the, on, on the bus. And yeah, I mean, you bring up, I'd forgotten about, yeah, the seven o'clock People's Choice vote. And uh, I remember that there was always, I just remember tuning into that all the time. And there would be some crap song that was like winning like week after week. And it was like, how is this winning? Or day after day, I should say. And then I remember uh, they would play the people who called in. 
and they would either just be like, who's your vote? And you'd be like, I'm voting for whatever band. And then maybe they get to say something about it. And so I remember I called in. Uh, it was a summer. It would have been summer of 2001. And uh, it was Weezer versus, whew, I don't remember. I want to say maybe Weezer versus Disturbed, now that I think about it. And I called in and was like, the Weezer track's the better one. Definitely. And I did this whole spiel. like, And they played the whole spiel, I said to the guy on the radio. Two months later, I go back to college. And I run into this girl named Abby. And she goes, Lauren, did you call into 89X this summer? <laughs> I was like, wait, what? I'm, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. And then she, did you like in the vote for like Weezer? I was like, yeah. And she's like, I was driving with friends. And I heard you pop in, and I just started yelling at them. I know this fucking guy. <laughs> that tracks. that was the power of the radio. Oh, that was the power. We're old. Holy oh. God, we're old. Oh boy. Oh boy. We got. We got. We got just more. Just imagine more... if Ninja played Fortnite with you, kids. There you go. Whomst? <laughs> we have uh, one more very important response. We do. to our Black Labyrinth episode comes from our dear sweet friend Jax Lawson who says I'm super into God and stuff but what you believe is the catchiest song I've heard in ages <laughs> we get a Gordon Ramsay meme saying that is disgusting um yeah sometimes you can have your your hard beliefs challenged by a catchy hook a catchy hook like, what do I believe? Because JD's made this catchy. Uh, so thank you, everyone, who wrote in. Thank you for uh, everything that you do. Keep on saying hello online. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Send us an email, roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. That is, of course, coach with a K. Send us those racks. Challenge us to look into the belly of the beast and decide if we're going to listen to some whack-ass album you sent our way <laughs> hey man hey. We, I, we don't we don't know we don't know we don't know we don't know but boy oh boy look <laughs> we we chose this we did we keep we've been choosing it for years we did literally years four strong baby yeah. so yeah hey yeah um oh before we dive into it, we should mention uh we will be on an upcoming episode of the POD cast talking about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre soundtrack from 2003. And we are very excited to do this. We haven't recorded it yet. And, uh, but they, the guys reached out to us and said, fellow new metalers, let's convene, chat about this record. Um, I believe this is one of their Patreon episodes. Um, but I think it's just like four bucks to join that patreon so either way we'll keep you guys posted and let you know but and, much uh, appreciated those guys to reaching out yeah man and i'm gonna be on um our good friends discography discussion talking about kmfdm in a couple weeks that's an essential listen because if i'm gonna listen to anybody talk about kmfdm for a long time it's gonna be you matt <laughs> i love you buddy you know how many um how many albums did oh. you have to listen to <laughs> how much time do you have well, I mean, just to tell me the number, we need a lot of time. Yeah, buddy. <laughs> How big is this number? 
It's a lot. Oh, my God. I'm, well, I think I'm stretching just so I can count them up. But uh, let's see. One, two, three. 21, baby. Wow. 20. We're going to be grazing through some of these. <laughs> wow. Matt, blessings unto you and your family. Thank you. <laughs> Good tidings I bring. Oh, boy. KMFDM. Oh, boy. All right. I can't uh, wait to talk about Sasha Kononitsu for five hours. <laughs> boy, oh, boy. Well, lots of extra listening for everybody to look forward to. But uh, let's talk about it's the holiday season. Matt, you've got a gift for us. In the form of ministry's greatest hits, referred to as Greatest Fits. And uh, Jenny, when did this album come out? This album was released on June 19th, 2001. That would be in the thick of it still. Truly. Still in the thick of it. Matt, we're going to start with you. This was your pick. Tell us a little bit about your history with ministry. Well, um, ministry, as aforementioned, was introduced to me by my brother circa 1991. Kind of like Pretty Hate Machine happened, and my brother bought that, and then it was like, what else is like this? So he went to the Harmony House and they were like, have you heard ministry? And he, of course, it was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, none of us fucking had any idea. So my brother got Land of Rape and Honey on cassette. And two seconds into hearing Stigmata, we were like, okay, this is kind of who we are now. And then uh, when I did my cable access um, music show in high school... Um, the fir- one of the first records we reviewed was um, Psalm 69. And I have been a fan ever since. Well, let's, let's really rephrase that. I have, a, I have a peak ministry listening. So I've heard with sympathy. I love with sympathy for what it is. So when they first started, they were really kind of a Depeche mode moody boy band have you ever heard anything from with sympathy i've never heard anything from with sympathy uh with sympathy i've heard every day is halloween okay uh, which is a great song but this is i wanted to tell her oh yeah baby wow so this is not the ministry that you're that you're going to hear for the rest of the show. I don't, I got to say I kind of like this. I love this. T- I love this, but it is this, not. Yeah, no, I I like this, and this helps me with one of my strongest ministry impressions and confusion I felt around it. So thank you for playing that. <laughs> yeah, let me fast forward a little bit just so we can hear. So weird. 
I literally don't remember this at all. I'm waiting for Al to come in and say, I, I wanted to tell her till I looked in her eyes. You can cut literally everything before. That. What? No, no, no. It's funny because this basically sounds like a lot of the bands I listened to in like 2007, yeah. 2006. It's like, LCD Sound System. LCD ripped. Sound System and. Well, uh, they ripped them, yes. Yeah, there's yeah, there's a lot of that New York DFA era stuff that has that vibe. I mean, it's wow. from 1983. So it's well, like yeah. peak synth pop, mm-hmm. you know, and and uh, you know, I heard that I kind of fell in love with it. I never listened to Twitch. Uh, Twitch was a, a record I never listened to, but basically, Land of Rape and Honey, Mine's Terrible Thing, the live album, and Psalm sixty nine to me is like peak power ministry, and then Filth Pig, Dark Side of the Spoon, they. Al's on so many drugs they really really start to lose me and then I really haven't listened to anything post Dark Side of the Spoon which is perfect because Dark Side of the Spoon is 99 and Greatest Fits is 01 so it's the tale of the band up until that point which was the point I was in with them there we go Uh, Jenny how about you any history with ministry so I'm I've been aware of ministry for a long time, but I never really listened to ministry. Um, I had, I think I probably had like heard ministry. I had some like very specific ideas about what ministry sounded like and what their whole deal was, which is why I have to tell you, I hadn't heard anybody say anything about ministry for many, many years, but probably about Five or six years ago, um, I was still pretty new uh, at, at the place that I that I still work. And there's a dude that I work with um, who was a little bit on the older side of a lot of people. And he had like very, like, you know, the energy of a person who wears like kind of dirty-ish white New Balance shoes and tall socks. Oh, yeah. I know that. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I know it. I know so, it. that I work with a dude like that and he and I were talking about something one day and I was like oh I'm I'm going to see a show and he's like oh yeah I love going to shows and I was like cool he's like yeah yeah big ministry fan and I was like what (laughs) and he's like I love ministry and this dude, I'm telling you, every day wearing like a golf polo, like that type of stuff. This, I was like, this lines up so hard. If he's like our age, my like, if he's in his 40s, this lines up super hard because all of my friends were computer scientists. All of them were golf polo, just kind of like baggy khaki kind of guys, and electronic music like. It basically went like there was a couple roads that you could go. You could go craft work and then maybe you go hip hop or may- maybe just craft works it for you for electronic music. Maybe you go to Depeche Mode or something softer. But there is like a craft work, Depeche Mode New Order, Skinny Puppy, 
ministry path that goes into the the Chris and Cozy, Throbbing Gristle, dark goth industrial route where they don't my friend Jay Rena is who I'm thinking about. If you saw him, you would be like, that's the most unassuming dude I've ever and he's like, I love ministry. I love skinny puppy. <laughs> I will say I was like noted. I wanna know more, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna pace out my questions as our relationship grows. So I really I guess with ministry, I guess you could say I have more Q's than I do A's. I have a few more A's now that we've listened to this, but that is my history with ministry. How about you, Lauren? So uh, with ministry, I was vaguely aware of them in the 90s. I think I'd heard like some songs on the radio, and I think I'd seen the video for Jesus Built My Hot Rod, I want to say. And then my cousin, I, I remember my cousin, who was somebody who she was listening to 89X and she was telling me about bands all the time. She's the person who told me about Stuntable Pilots for the first time, which is very random. She was like, I love Scott. I was like, who's Scott? She's like, he's in Stuntable Pilots. I was like, okay, I'll check him out. And uh, she went to see Ministry on, I believe, the Filth Pig Tour. And I said, what was it like? And she's like, this guy did the whole show in a giant black trench coat. I was dying in my seats it was so hot i don't know how he did the whole show now i read the ministry book which is called ministry the lost gospels according to al jorgensen with john whiterhorn and the answer of why he was able to do that show is that he was on a lot of drugs and so this book was incredibly illuminating best book i've ever read for this show and we'll talk a lot about what we learn in this. I have a physical copy of Greatest Fits. I actually did buy this um, when it came out. I had bought a copy of Filth Pig because um, I had a I was, when I was working at Best Buy. I had a discount, and I had heard Lay Lady Lay and Reload, and I was like, sure, let me check it out. And I hated it, and I sold it back. And then when Greatest Fits came out, I was like, oh, this has everything that I would need, right? So, scooped it up. And, uh, you know, so this has been – but the thing is that it's never led me into – I've never listened to the rest of the albums. I've never listened to the rest of them. Mine is Terrible Thing to Taste and Land of Rape and Honey or Psalm 69. I've only really ever listened to this. Um, a true ministry poser uh, is what I am. Uh, so I'm excited to dive more into ministry with you, Matt, and you, Jenny. Real quick, we've got producers listed here. This is not addressed in the book, but these producers, the named names here are Hypoluxa and Hermes Pan. But when you click on it, it's revealed. And it's Barker. It, yeah, and Paul Barker. And apparently they just used these pseudonyms for all the records. Jenny, we got some genre tags here. Yes, we do. We have industrial metal, industrial rock, and alternative metal. Sounds accurate. I don't know if we have anything else to add. I will say, though, that, um, well, I guess, who's, r roughly, Jenny, <laughs> who's in ministry? Okay, roughly, we're going to go with Al Jorgensen, because the rest of the band changes quite a bit, but I guess... 
I gotta tell you, there are so many changes coming up to this record. Well, your two your two stalwarts are Al Jorgensen is ministry, and Paul Barker is ministry for this era up until two thousand four. Thank you. So Al talks about Paul quite a bit in the book, and he he hates him. He calls him uh, a mediocre bass player and a mediocre a lot of things. Uh, he actually refers to Paul and this other guy as the book club, uh, that when Al was out getting wasted, the book club would be tisk tisking him the whole time. And uh, according to him, he would record all night. The book club would come in during the day. They would record. Al would come back in the next night, delete 80% of what the book club did, and then fix it. And there is, I guess, a lot of contention about the creation of a lot of these songs. Uh, I guess after Paul left the band, uh, he questioned the validity of how many of these songs were actually made by Al versus how many made by him. According to the book, and according to a lot of the people, though, that talk that are friends with Al, it's all Al. Be with that what it is. At the same time, Al will admit that many, all of these albums were made uh, under extreme drug and alcohol intoxication. And there's even a chapter in the book in which he lists every substance done for each album. And we can get to that um, as well. Also, because I know we're dying to know about it, every every album, uh, oh no, just about every album that these songs are taken from were reviewed by one, Robert Kreisgau. So, oh as we go through, we can hear what Robert had to say about each of these records. Something to look forward to. Anything else we want to add before we dive into this record? No. Let's get into it. Let's do it. All right, the first track, What About Us? This was a previously unreleased track. So definitely should kick off a greatest hits. For sure. soundtrack thoughts on that movie <laughs> lauren 
I saw AI when it came out. I remember thinking the end was dumb at the time. I know it's been reassessed. I do remember, though, that it has, at the time, some jaw-dropping special effects. I have not revisited, but there is a scene where they remove the face off of a robot, and it is, seen at the time, it was it appeared seamless. And I remember gasping in the audience, going, wow, they fucking did that shit. Other than that, I have no real, I mean, it's it's not a Spielberg that I've revisited much. No. Nope. My my mid to, my early two thousand Spielberg I revisit as Minority Report. That movie is the shit. Yeah, but I do remember this uh, this uh, there there's a brief cameo uh, by Ministry in the movie they perform, and Al talks about his experience being in this movie. It turns out he was contacted by Stanley Kubrick because it was supposed to be Stanley Kubrick's next movie after right. Eyes Wide Shut, and Stanley Kubrick was like, "Hey, it's Stanley Kubrick," and Al went fuck you and hung up the phone because he didn't believe it and so stanley kubrick had to call back and say no it's me stanley kubrick <laughs> don't hang up on me and he said i want you to be in my movie and he said sure and he sent him the script and he said i love the script incredible script can't wait to be in this fucked up movie and then kubrick died and he's like oh well i guess that's it then he gets a call no spielberg's gonna make it now we want you to come down when he comes down, he found that all the fucked up shit in the script had been taken out and replaced with a teddy bear. That teddy bear was being controlled by animatronic wizard, special effects guru, Stan Winston, who, according to Al Jorgensen, speaks in the third person. And Al thought that was very weird. And he said that they, they'd constantly be trying to film and there would be a problem with the bear, and they'd have to stop everything. And then Stan Winston would say, this isn't how Stan Winston does things. And he said, fine. And I, it's, 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 the thing is that in this book, Al Jorgensen is, is, a, is a very wild man, to say the least. And for him to encounter Stan Winston and go, too this, much this guy's too fucking much <laughs> uh was very funny it was very funny so um this song you know i wrote in my notes you know it starts to rip it up around three minutes in but it is weird how there is a purposeful choice in a lot of the ministry sound to be thick in the bass line thin in the guitars oh yeah baby Interesting thinning, thinning them drums. Let's just it, every, everything is thinned out. Yeah, there's like one. There, well, a lot of it is processed to death. But like yeah. those drum sounds, it's just like yeah, just put it in the room with all the echoes. The thing that I was struck by more than anything is just how incredibly long ministry songs are. Oh, buddy, they do not know when they've worn out their welcome. They just want to keep going. Uh, Jenny, what do you think about what about us? You know, I enjoyed it. No complaints. It was definitely long, but hell, we got the longest podcast other than hardcore history, I think. So <laughs> who who am I to be mad at that? Um, I definitely agree. It sounds thin. Uh, this is what I expected ministry to sound like. So I wasn't disappointed. I was like, all right, yeah. And then again, I just pictured that dude I work with 
listening to this. I'm like, what other secrets do you hold? Dude. <laughs> Dude? 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 Uh, What's up? <laughs> uh, so songmeetings.com, not a lot of comments. The only one I found uh, particularly interesting was from Poopy the Clown, who said, this is what ministry is all about right here. The brilliant ramblings of the pissed off. No one does it like Al. The meaning is pretty straightforward. The weak get weaker as the poor get poorer rather than... Uh, rather, they do more as much or more or less work than the strong and wealthy. But the bottom line to it is that it's not fair. All are humans. They all come from the same place. In this song, he uses the example of God. I'd rather use the example of an all-knowing taxidermy dog before the one, but you get the point. Poopy the Clown. I'll take your word for it. World class got him. World class. I think that's all I got for that one. Jenny, did you see AI? I don't think so. No, I think I'm now remembering the poster for the film. No. I'll tell you what. Yeah. Wasn't interested. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you what. That's a hard pass from Jenny Plumer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jenny said, is, yeah. I'll I'll probably watch it in like 10 years or something like that. You know? It takes it'll, time. It'll I just watched The Beach for you- the first time today. You know, so <laughs> I've never seen I've never seen that one. That's, hey, it was how was good. it? Pretty, pretty good. good. Pretty All right. good. Okay. All right. Early period DiCaprio is a big blind spot for me. I didn't start watching movies with him until he started shooting people in the face. Then I was like, "Let's go." Well, hey, don't so. count out the peach. Um. <laughs> All right, there we go. <laughs> Adding it to the queue. All right. Up next, we've got Stigmata from the Land of Rape and Honey. Now, I'm going to play it, but according, so you, we, we're going to need some clarification, but this says it's the update mix, so. That's the update mix. I have no idea why that's on a greatest hits when you want the original version. So just for reference, here's the original version. Thank you. 
then uh, the vocal treatment is different. You can tell that they kind of either cleaned it up or re-recorded it. But um, as a fan, getting a greatest hits, I want this version. I don't want this update mix. I hate this update mix. So I think this is a situation of streaming messing things up a little bit because I can confirm that the version on the CD of Greatest Fits is the original Stigmata, not this remix. So once again, physical media, baby. This is weird because even the Land of Rape and Honey on streaming is now the update mix, which makes me feel that Al went in and changed it and was like, this is the one you stream now. Entirely possible. This is this is the inherent problem with so many things. There is, let me just tell you about a bone to pick with streaming. If you go in and pull up Third Eye Blind self-titled, it is not the original version of Graduate on there. It is a remix that fucking blows. It drives me insane. But once again, don't worry. You know I got a physical copy of that one too. Jenny, thoughts and stigmata. Well, I don't even know what to say now because the only version I've ever heard is the update mix. So I have to, it would not be responsible for me to engage in this discussion. So I recuse myself from discussion of <laughs> stigmata. Recusing yourself from <laughs> stigmata not, talk. It's not that different. I mean, <laughs> yeah. let's, do you like that riff? I guess. Yeah. yeah like, the, yes, the riff the, is the, the riff is the same. It's that riff is an all timer to me. Like I hear that I'm in a good mood. I love it. So I'm glad you like that part. <laughs> so Al talks in the book uh, about being a- an artist who's constantly being creative and constantly following his muse and never wanting to do what he is told. And that extends to music and also shooting a ton of drugs into your body. Al's going to do what he wants to do. And there's a part near the end of the book where he is approached by the producers of the television show NCIS. They said, huge fans, huge fans in ministry. We love you and we want a song that's going to accompany a big moment on the show. We'd love you to give us anything. He's like, what do you want? He's like, we just want Al to be Al. And he's like, great. I love it. So at that time, Al was really into dub. (laughs) So... He called up his buddy and he's like, let's make some tracks. So let's let's blow these NCIS motherfuckers' minds. Let's do it. Because I helping out. This is who So he made a dub track. He made a dub track. He sent it to him. And they said, they call him back and they go, wait. 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 Wait, Matt. What, Matt? No, this is what they said. Wait. No, no. They said more than they, they went, what the fuck is this? (laughs) <laughs> and he said this is what i'm doing right now he's like this isn't what we want he's like what do you want he's like i want stigmata too that's what i want and then that leads into a rant in the book about how they just want people just want to re they want you to just recycle they just want you to always just be doing the one thing that was popular and never advance and never move forward as an artist so what does al do al goes back to the th- goes back to the lab and says to his buddy Let's give him fucking Stigmata too. They record Stigmata again. They change one bit of tuning, one bit of string work, send it to the guy, call it Stigmata 2. He writes back, I love it. This is the best. 
you, you bo- the boys did it again. Thank you. And Al's like, these fucking dumb motherfuckers. And this goes in another rant in the book. It's incredible. But he's like, it's the, he's like, I plagiarized myself. He's like, it's the same fucking song. Yeah, they should have just said, we want Stigmata. How do we license this Well, song that's the thing. Why don't you just license Stigmata for me? Why do you need me to make a new song that sounds like my old song? He's, yeah, he's, he's furious. He's furious about it. In the book, as I said, Al does list what substances he was uh, putting into his body for the making of every record for the land of Rip and Honey. He said, by that time, we were seeing some money, so I was using a lot of heroin, coke, and psychedelics. I didn't know Timothy Leary yet, so I was doing the basic paper stuff that you get off the street. But I was still kind of a weekend warrior. By the time we got to the mind is a terrible thing to taste, fuck it. I was a full-blown addict. We'll get there. Yeah. Yeah, we will. But before we can, we have one more song from the land of rape and honey, and that is the title track. Oh, my God. So I don't know if you guys have ever been to City Club. Oh, yeah. But there's a goth industrial club in Detroit that has easily the longest goth night that would still be running if COVID wasn't a thing. And this, um, I started going when I was 18 because you had to be 18 and there was no way I was going to get a um, fake ID. And there's something that happens, and this was like 1995, 96 that I'm going to this club. There's something that happens when a song comes on that you're 18 but there's people who are like in their mid 20s here and it comes on and it's their fucking jam but it's not you like don't really connect to the song like they do the way people would dance to this song was like from another planet like people on their knees throwing their hands to the skies lots of like you know that under the bridge cyber dance video that comes yes. out everyone yes Yes. That for real. Slowed down quite a bit. A lot of stomping of black pointed boots. Can confirm. I <laughs> feel it could have been this song. It could have not been this song. But the first time I went to City Club, I was like, I can't believe this place exists. I <laughs> like people were just so into it like i i fell in love instantly because it was like all i wanted to do was dance there was no way i was gonna grind on anybody and city club is not about that life no they're about like what do you got in you you can put it out and even if it's beautiful nobody cares (laughs) i've never i i won't say i've never but i've rarely felt more free than I did it's at City because nobody gives freeing. nobody gives a fuck about you in the I best wore, possible way. Oh yeah, yes. Like I walked in wearing like a pea coat, and like everybody was just like, "Hey," and it was just like a bunch of fucking weirdos. And I was like, "This is how cool City Club was." Jamie Moyer was the coat check girl for years while I went there. Had no idea. Wow! Wow! wow. Okay. Well, I have no experience with City Club, 
my connection to this song though is that I know this was a song they used to play on Club X on 89X on Saturday nights that I would associate with this and uh, the other one they used to play that I always remember is um, that Lords of Acid song oh where, shit where yep. it was just it was just like a repeated line of like I think like some woman saying like I want to sit on your face over and over again and I remember being like what is this what? and also not understanding what that meant hmm at all so is it this one yes this is the one yeah buddy this is like sit on acid oh boy yep yeah they obviously they did played an edited version on, on club x but yeah i remember that riff very well so that's what I've always associated with this. I mean, and also this sound is something that has been ripped off and imitated uh, a million times. The drum sound on this song, perfection. And Al points out early on that he learned a lot. I, I forget who the guy was, but when he was making with sympathy, he learned a lot from this one guy. And then when he, and oh, it's killing me. I, I read this book in a, in a, in a, in a, in a flurry. But he learned a lot while producing those re- or making those records with other people and then basically stole all their tricks. And he even says, he's like, I just stole all these tricks. He's like, every trick you hear on, on the ministry records that I produced is just stuff that I learned from other people and just took everything that they told me and just glommed onto it. Real quick talking about With Sympathy and Twitch. With Sympathy was made when he was on Arista Records. And yes. longtime listeners of this show know Arista Records was run by one Clive, Clive Davis. Davis. And let me tell you, if Scrape had called up Al and said, we are so mad at Clive Davis, we wanted to eat a bowl of dicks, Al would have paid the postage for that bowl. Al mm. also wishes Clive Davis would eat a bowl of dicks. He says a lot of mean stuff about him and basically says that he's completely full of shit. Well, I would say that probably Flood is one of the biggest influences. Like, Flood produced Pretty Hate Machine, um, Mm -hmm. but he was the engineer on With Sympathy. So it makes sense, kind of like an engineer would be have kind of all those tricks. I'm trying to find, because it it wasn't a one-name guy that he mentions in the book. And I'm just trying to, I don't know, I'm flipping through like a 200-page book here. But in anything, Al, is, Al gave credit where it was due and where he learned all of his tricks. Now, uh, we said early on, one, Robert Christ got reviewed a lot of these records. So let's hear what he had to say about The Land of Rape and Honey. He said, Al Jorgensen is said to hate Steve Albini. And why not? But I still think Big Black changed his life. Womp, 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 womp. These huge, ugly slabs of beat are like the metal of dreams. All urban din and therapeutic brain damage only done with synthesizers. Though I wish I knew what they were bellowing about down in the abyss, they will tone up your innards a lot more efficiently than whatever's hep in garage grunge these days. And you can dance to it, supposedly. B+. plus. Can I tell you that recently... Mitch was watching a Brian Eno documentary and Robert Kreisgau is in it. He gets interviewed uh, and he's wearing the dorkiest shirt I've ever seen. It's just a t-shirt 
with a bunch of different guitars screen printed on it. And Mitch called me in the other room just to be like, this is your boy, right? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> this is your He's boy. Like, the dean. Yeah, he was like, look at how dorky his shirt is. You could have told that it was going to hey. be a dorky shirt based on his horrific website. Oh, yeah. With it's... a website like that, do you think he's going to be getting the best shirts? No, it just made me laugh that I got some man with zero aesthetic <laughs> taste. It was a shock. <laughs> I'll just say that. You'd think he'd... I, I picture Robert Kreisgau as a, a plain t-shirt guy. Yeah, give me a solid burgundy t-shirt, faded burgundy t-shirt on Kreisgau. And I'd be like, yep. But no. Well, well, hey, when the documentarians for the Brian Eno doc are coming to town, <laughs> you got to spruce things up. True. You're going to be on camera, baby, forever. True, true. All right. Well, now it's time to move into what Al has described as his full-blown attic phase. The next song on the greatest fits is Thieves from A Mind is a Terrible Thing to Taste. This song, number one, brought to you by Full Metal Jacket. Um, if it weren't for Full Metal Jacket audio clips, I don't know how if this song would be as great as it is. This song's fucking great. <laughs> it's iconic. Um, I I am not as on general. I gotta we gotta get the chorus here. I fucking love this song. Uh, this song is the coolest thing in the world to me. Uh, I'm not the heaviest music fan. I know that there is heavier music in the world, tons heavier music in the world, but this blew my fucking mind then, and it still gets me amped today. Um, I, uh, To me, it is as close to a perfect industrial song as you can get, and even Limp Biscuit covers it live. They sure do. They sure do. This song is a ripper. Uh, something that Al points out in the book is that a lot of the early ministry stuff he knows has been influential on a lot of rock bands and other industrial bands. But he points out that for a, for a lot of the early records, there's no live guitars. It's all guitar samples or just synth noises distorted. 
and it isn't until later when he decides to actually incorporate actual guitars into it. This song, this song rips. Also, he said, I mean, a song like this, he talks about that he's been ripped off and lied to by just about everybody. So a lot of these songs are about record industry people and other people in his life that have been ripping him off and taking him for a ride. He's not happy about it. He won't stand for it. Uh, Jenny, thoughts on Thieves? I loved it. I thought it was a great song. I was like, maybe I should... Maybe I should really listen to Ministry. That's what I thought when I heard this one. This album is very good in my book. I am not surprised that he's a full-on addict in it. It's a mess, lyrically. Like, it is not a good time of a record. So this is what Al had to say about the making of this one. I was using a lot of heroin and coke. Also, we got a pound of MDA from this girl. It was in a huge bag, and you just put a little on your finger, rub it on your gums, and the next thing you know, you're fucking insane. <laughs> Guys, I can't recommend this book enough. It's This is early on when you get the breakdown, and then you, as you go through it, you get more in-depth on every record. So you get a whole record on the making of a mind is a terrible thing to taste, and just how insane it was. Um, Al is hallucinating spiders constantly and then talking about how much he hates them. But I'm like, do you hate spiders or do you just hate the hallucinations you have of spiders? Because that comes up a lot. Where He's like, I hate this thing. And I'm like, do you hate it or just the hallucinations which are worse than the real thing? Because he's often hallucinating spiders on himself, snakes on himself, um, other things. It's a lot. It's a whole lot. Also, in the book, he does talk about all of his various side projects, um, Revolting Cox. Oh, my Cox, God. Uh, Pale. So that's like three chapters, right? Palehead. Oh, yeah, Palehead, Lard, all of that gets mentioned. And what's really interesting about it is that uh, you read a lot of these books and people tell stories and you think, that sounds a little too good to be true. Or let's, that's, somebody's somebody's exaggerating someone's telling a fib so in between each chapter they will talk to various people talk to lead singer of kmfdm talk to his guitarist mikey um r.i.p to mikey uh they talk to a lot of people talk to his dad and just about all of them go he'll they'll bring up something and they'll go oh yeah that happened oh yeah that happened when they were talking to the lead singer of the KMFDM, they said, what was it like touring with him? He's like, Al is just, he's just a maniac. And he would just fuck with people constantly. And one time he walked up on the tour bus and opened up his guitarist's bunk and sprayed him with some lighter fluid and lit him on fire. And then walked away. And the guy was like flopping around screaming to put himself out. He's like, that's what it was like with Al in the 90s. Just unhinged. And yeah. And Al does a lot of terrible stuff in this book and i want to say and i love your take on this jenny when you do get to read this book because we've talked a lot about especially over the past year a lot about people apologizing for past behavior and there's zero chance al jorgensen apologizes for anything there is there's a bit of i don't want to say apology there is certain parts of the book where he's a little more sober about the effects of what he did to people. There are other times when he's very flippant, but he does talk about how basically what a bad father he was to his daughter. And he's like, yeah, 
He's like, that's, I got to live with that. That's a bad one. And I was not prepared for that level of self-reflection. But then later on in the book, they talk about like basically introducing Lane Staley to heroin and then saying like, yeah, like, yeah, we're the guys who got him into heroin, but we're not, I don't think really responsible. It's sad, but you can't really put that on us. And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. You, you can. Yeah, maybe. It, yeah. So it's a, it is a true warts and all portrayal. Um, but it was interesting though. There is there is some. I was texting you, Jenny, some of the insane stuff that's mentioned in this book. And then they go and they. It's literally like an in book fact check. They're like, "Did I really do this?" And the guy's like, "Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, I was there for that." <laughs> so yeah, it's a. Uh, just grizzled maniacs. Oh, oh just a bunch of. I, well, mean, I always remember when when we read the Max Cavalera book. Yeah, and he talks about Jorgensen, and he's like, "Yeah, it was too crazy for me." Yeah, 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 a hundred percent. And we should. Well, we were talking about it. So yes, yeah, so Olympus could cover this song in concert quite a bit. And in the book, Al talks about working with Fred Durst. And what happened is they said, uh, Fred Durst wants to work with you. He wants to produce a song. And Al's like, I need money. So I will do it. So they asked for, I think, 10 grand in cash. So they brought a suitcase of money. They gave it to him. They counted it. And they said, yeah, what do you want to do? And Fred said, I want my vocals to sound like thieves. And he's like, oh, great. Well, here's my my thing and and you just press this button that says thieves on it and it makes your vocals sound like thieves so he goes into the booth and he sings it and it sounds terrible and and uh and he comes out he goes it's just sounding right he's like well i'm it's the way it is on my album because i'm using the literal thieves button and al keeps talking about he's like i'm pointing at the button that is literally has the word thieves written on it this is the thieves button okay it's that simple it's what i use so he goes back in and he's like, it's not working. He's like, well, you know what? Maybe you need to like take your clothes off. So Fred Durst takes all his clothes off and is screaming in the booth at Al Jorgensen's. And he's, he's not making it any better, but Al thinks it's really funny. And it's not working. And they're in there for like a couple hours. And then Fred's like, I got to go. I got to meet up with Britney Spears. And because that's when this is the time period of. And this then made me realize that we are missing a whole chunk in the results may vary documentary of when Fred was working with Al. There we go. Wish we had it. What song did he need? They didn't use it. They didn't use it. He said they never used any of it. They were in there all night. They used none of it on the final album. But he got paid. Wow. Yeah. But and also he said like he said I don't know if he was really meeting up with Britney Spears. But they were texting the whole time. So what do I know? Probably. It was very funny. It, the, the Al's take on it was almost like, good for him. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Wow, 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 There you go. All right. Up next, we've got So What? Live from In Case You Didn't Feel Like Showing Up. So 
So, Matt, the riff drops at 139. Wow, that's a lot of buildup. That's 10 minutes. Here we go. Nostalgia, nostalgia, nostalgia for me. So yeah, so this is this is a weird one. So it says in the liner notes that it's from in case you don't feel like showing up. But according to the Wikipedia, it's actually audio from the band's performance at the nineteen ninety five Big Day Out Festival. Yeah, because so what from in case you don't feel like showing up sounds like this. Which is already, like, far different from what we heard. If I go to one minute... It doesn't have the echo. It doesn't have... It's completely different. Sounds madder, though. Yeah. Way madder. Way madder. Jenny, so what you what? Jenny, what'd you think of So What? I liked So What, but the length was a deterrent, I have to <laughs> say. I didn't like it as much as I liked Thieves. And I know that that's not really a fair way to like look at a band or or their songs overall, but I think like my first my first go go round with a band being a greatest hit sort of probably makes what I feel about the songs a little bit different in that way. So I liked it. Wasn't my fave on the record, but I was not mad at it. Yeah, this one always it was always interesting. It was like I anytime I listened to this one, I was like, well here comes that 10 minute live track <laughs> smack dab in the middle of the record. I mean it's got a cool once again it has a cool riff. The the riffs on a lot of this greatest hits greatest fits record are great they're uh, they're there is a simplicity to them but they're damn effective over and over again you're just blown away by how effective they are so robert kreisgau reviewed both a mind is a terrible thing to taste and in case you didn't feel like showing up here's what he had to say about a mind is a terrible thing he said industrial's edge on metal is anonymity Unlike major brand Sonic Barrage, it presents itself as a resultant rather than expression, music noise emanating from a society slash culture. It's objective. It doesn't imply a subject. 
This illusion boosts the music-slash-noise's impact and authority while rendering it virtually indistinguishable from itself, as well as difficult to access from what's human-slash-humanist in, in our aesthetic sense. The best-selling Chicago version gets faster and purer with every release. Even when Alan jo Jorgensen raps, or apes, hires John Lydon, I could give a fuck who he is or what he thinks, which is essential to the intended sensation. B+. Let's be real, you guys. We've all thought the same thing. I mean. I mean. <laughs> I mean, that's this show. I'm like, man, we're just we're just plagiarizing. And uh, in the case of, in case you didn't feel like showing up, he said, for fanatics and curity seekers, curiosity seekers, a 40-minute mini showcasing these professional anarchists' six most gripping, ripping songs. If you can't vote yet, you're still too old for their brains-to-the-wall barrage. It vents aggression so immature they're barely articulate, triggered by the political frustration that makes voting so meaningless these days. Ooh. But yeah. once you regain consciousness, it'll leave you humming in a fragmented kind of way. You like your rock hard, right? So why the hell aren't you curious? A minus. Wow. Al really liked this, the live album. Also, he wrote that in 1990. Boy, oh boy. Times have changed. They sure have. Yeah. All right. Um, yeah. It's time to move into a new era, a new album. The next few songs we listen to are from Psalm 69. The first is NWO. I'm very confused by this version. It is not the version I know, uh, but here we go. Song building from Ministry is always been something that I've enjoyed. It does lead to these songs being excessively long. It does that for a very long time, but I want to play the other version because I've been I was waiting the whole time for the for the drop that comes in the normal regular version. And it never comes, but this is like the version that I grew up with. So I, yeah. will, I will say that the Greatest Fits version does get you there faster, but I way prefer that drum drop. 
I can say this is once again a streaming situation that the original version is on the physical copy of the album. Physical copy, baby. Physical it's just, copy. It's just better. It's just better. Uh, this one actually is not... This is not my favorite of the songs. I don't know what it is, but it's... This one feels like a little... like It's repetitive like the other ones, but is not as interesting to me. And so I kind of lose interest pretty quick. Um, so it's fine. I love it's it. Bad, Stone Cold Classic. There you go. Jenny, thoughts on NWO? Well, this is once again a situation of my my only experience is with what's on streaming. I have to say I didn't mind it, but, you know, I don't know. I didn't have the true experience. I liked it. It, it felt a little... Rammstein-y to me in some ways god who knows who knows i feel like i'm living in some strange dimension only having the streaming version can i even trust my own thoughts i don't know (laughs) in the book al talks about the drugs he was on when he made this record which the full title is psalm 69 the way to succeed and the way to suck eggs he said, Mikey and I were complete heroin and coke bingers, up and down the yo-yo ride, and large quantities of it. We were full-blown addicts. We did speedballs, these mixtures of heroin and coke, all the time. I don't know how we got through that one. If Mikey's riffs weren't so good, we never would have finished the record. And he talks at length about these speedballs, which apparently have killed just about everyone else who's ever done them, and somehow Al did not die. But he listed every other celebrity who's died of a speedball. And it's uh, a lot of your faves. <laughs> so uh, speedball, not to be fucked with. Uh, unless you're Al, then you're going to be fine. But everybody it, else. It took out Belushi, right? Belushi, Chris Farley. He listed some other ones. Those are the two I remember. But yeah, he listed like five people. And I was like, oh shit. Don't be fucking around with them speedballs. I think we got we got one more from this album, right? Two more from this Two album. More. Two more. That's right. Up next, we've got just one fix.
there really isn't much more to the song, even though it goes on for seemingly ever. I it's, it's, I would go. like to correct my previous statement. This was the song. I remember that it was from Psalm 69, but I couldn't remember if it was NWO or this one. This gives me big Rammstein vibes. This riff is one of the great riffs, in my opinion. If I knew how to play guitar, I would play this riff all the time. I would learn how to play this riff because this riff is awesome. It is what a riff. What a riff. And in the book, Al talks about how the audience changes from album to album and how they start to get more metalheads, start to get other types of people. But one thing he notices, album to album, the ladies showing up for these shows, they keep getting hotter. And I hear this riff and I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is a total hottie situation. Wow. All right. I I wrote my yeah, this is a, this is a a nice juicy meaty riff and I love it. I think it's great. I definitely definitely love this song. Have absolutely danced to this song at City Club. This is very a, this is a stomping song. Definitely hear people stomping in boots, putting hands in the air, you know, pleading to the sky. Um fucking it's great um william h burroughs i think is at some point in this song i know he's in jesus built my hot rod um definitely the uh the blueprints for rammstein they're like hey here's the keys to the kingdom rammstein good luck see you in two years hey i want you to know i assumed that rammstein was influenced by ministry and not the other way around oh i know it Oh, I know. I know it. So in the book, you Al better t- believe they were influenced. <laughs> oh, oh, hey. oh. oh. I, Matt's nose is like, pouring blood. Oh. Just felt so like I had to say it because I just felt like I had to say it. There's no way Rammstein could deny being influenced by ministry. A hundred percent. Hundred percent. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Till Lindemann, the, the Al Jorgensen of, of Germany. Till, here's, here's what happened is Till, like her, Al, Al said, I'll fuck anything that moves. And Till was like, sounds good to me. Challenge accepted. Challenge accepted. I'll fuck things that aren't moving too. So uh, in the book, they talk about basically hazing Trent Reznor and putting him through it but at the same time though al liked him he's like yeah we fuck with them but yeah we like him that that's the thing is al will fuck with everybody but some people he fucks with and he likes and some people he fucks with and he doesn't like um and he talks about going to see um trent on uh Lollapalooza, and he wanted to go see him and and uh it turned out that nine inch nails was sharing a bus with Henry Rollins. And Henry Rollins looked at Al Jorgensen and said, get out of here, you piece of shit. I hate junkies. He said, I'll just read. He says, now I know Henry Rollins is supposed to be this he-man who lifts weights, takes off his shirt, and shows his muscles. But I didn't know if the guy would could fight or not. And frankly, I didn't care. 
I didn't even think about what I was doing. I just took a giant swing at him, and then a bunch of guys split us up. He didn't even get a shot in, and he never came after me or bothered me again. Although, from what I've heard, he spent many a spoken word show totally trashing me. So right back at you, Henry. You are an asshole. (laughs) Wow. That is, if you have a story about Rollins, let it be that one. That's perfect. This whole book is like this. Is Al running into people... And Al is constantly getting into fights and losing. Al is getting his the shit beat out of him all the time, <laughs> all the time, chunky. all the time. He's just going places. He and just yeah, all the time getting beat up. And he tells the story early on that he went to score drugs, and he was in a bad part of town, and they were like a, a bunch of bad looking dudes surrounded him, and they were gonna kill him. And then one of them realized that he was the every day is Halloween guy. Like he said, I think he called him like the boop, boop, boop man. He's like, you're the boop, boop, boop man. You can go. And he's like, so this song saved my life. He's like, so I always, I always like that. Every day is Halloween saved my life. That is. Yeah. He'll, well, he'll mention offhand like, yeah, that, that song, that person saved my life. And then later on it's like, yeah, they literally do. So I can't, I can't even stress enough this book. It's incredible. We got, but we have, we got to get to the store. We got to do, we got to do the next one. All right. Up next, we've got Jesus Built My Hot Rod featuring Gibby Haynes. Soon I discovered this rock rock thing was real. True. Damn it. It was the devil. Jesus was an architect previous to his career as as a prophet. All of a sudden, I found myself in love with the world. So there was only one thing that I could do. Talk about a home run. Total home run. Like, yep, just let it play for five minutes. It's fine. I want to love you. Matt, what do you think of Jesus Build My Hot Rod? I mean, these songs are, I mean, he's admitting from this NCIS story, they were immensely popular. This song was a ripper then. It's a ripper now. It's got that driving guitar part. Uh, Gibby Haynes singing absolute nonsense. It works for casuals and fans alike it's rock solid dumb as fuck and i love every moment of it jenny what do you think of jesus built my hot rod i think this is one of the only ministry song titles i could have picked out before we did this record and seems like a hit to me it was fun it was fun all the way through. So Gibby Haynes is from 
Butthole Surfers. Butthole Surfers, who we've talked about before on the show when we did the Spawn soundtrack. I was told by my friend Ashley that when we she listened to the episode that it felt she felt like we were saying Butthole Surfers over and over and over again. Too much seemed to be the insinuation. I don't know. It's just a fun fun band name to say. So Gibby Haynes of the Butthole Surfers. I'll just read what Al has to say about him. This is right after he almost got into a fight with Henry Rollins. It's like, I hung out backstage with Gibby Haynes, who always cracks me up because he's out of his mind. Some musicians act crazy on stage and then get off and might as well be English professors. Some of them actually are. But Gibby's a genuine freak, which is why I love the guy. He's the real deal. And so he invited him to come to Chicago Tracks after the show and work on a song. He says, uh, he agreed. And uh, he said, I'd been working on a song with a really cool riff that I hadn't, couldn't figure out any vocals for. And I thought it might need fresh perspective. Gibby came in completely shit-faced. He couldn't even walk. I looked at him, laughed, and said, hey, man, let's see what you've got. We set him up with a stool, gave him a microphone and a fifth of jack, and played the track. But we didn't exactly get lightning in a bottle. Gibby started babbling some incoherent nonsense, knocked over the whiskey, and fell off the stool. We propped him back up again and heard, bing, bang, dingy, dong, wah, wah, bing, a bong, crash, back on the floor. We went on like that for take after take, getting nothing but gibberish with a few discernible words like baby, gun, trailer park, around, and why, why, why. Finally, Gibby passed out. He was gone. That was it. But I knew there was something there. If only I could extract the magic, it would be like pulling a diamond ring out of a septic tank. Mm. And uh, he said that, yeah, the song, he edited the song at home. And he said, even though, and this comes up a lot, even though he is strung out on so many drugs, like I said, he's doing speed balls that are taken out celebs left and right. Legends. He's like, I have the rock steady hands to conduct delicate brain surgery when I'm cutting tape. Doesn't matter. So he cut it all together. He added some uh, some samples about drag racing, put some stuff in, had some solos put in. He put in the spoken word intro, which he says is complete nonsense. It means nothing. He says, to this day, journalists ask me what the intro and lyrics are about, and I honestly have no fucking clue. We were just winging it. They also were given $750,000 to make this record, and 90% of that went into their arms. That is a direct quote. Jesus. From, from Al on that one. And uh, it comes up a lot in the book. Al has been in more fights with Gibby Haynes than any of us have had a hot meal. Like, I think he was fighting Gibby Haynes to a standstill constantly. Like, they were just, like, fighting until I think like they fell asleep or something. Really wild shit. Robert Christgau. He reviewed Psalm 69. This is what he had to say. Like the good orthodox category haters you'd figure, these perverts claim they're not industrial, which is true only in the sense that Led Zeppelin wasn't metal. They may be too good for the category, but that doesn't mean they're not of it. 
And like Led Zepp, they're cold bastards who are worth your time even if you think you don't like what they do, which is toning up your cardiovascular system by running you over with a tank. Their rockism is checked somewhat this time by a meticulousness that may put off casual sympathizers, but from synth ooze to caterwall, the care they put into their din connects as an aural wit that complements and undercuts their over-the-top doom-mongering. You don't laugh with them, and you don't laugh at them. You just throw back your head in glee at the unlikely fact that they exist. A minus. So Matt, you said that this is the tail end of peak ministry. So where do you stand on your ministry ranking? Do you are you in agreement that Psalm sixty nine is the peak? You know, it's it. This is the tour I saw them on, and once again for new listeners, this bill for the uh, Psalm sixty nine tour was helmet as your opener, sepultura as your middle. And then ministry. And it was a fucking powerhouse. And that's uh, Sepultura touring Chaos AD. So that's a it hot was show. a hot show. Hot and show. yeah, and Helmet doing Helmet meantime. So. Wow. That's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Uh, so it was, yeah. it was a hot lineup. It's hard to argue because I would say of the known ministry songs, Jesus Built My Hot Rod is probably one of the top known ministry songs because it just kind of has ended up on Beavis and Butthead. I think it was, I think it was there. I, I It has been in more things than any of the other ministry tracks. My personal favorite ministry album is still Mine's a Terrible Thing to Taste. But Psalm 69, I would say, is peak powers. This is the apex for them. I, they don't top this. There you go. All right. Well, there you have it. Songmeanies.com, I just did want to mention one comment. Because um, really, it's uh, when going into these comments, I was like, none of these are really going to touch what's going on in this book. <laughs> but there was one comment that I did want to mention, and it is from Razor Masticator who said, this song is great to fuck to. That's having your dang along ling long ding a ding dong danged. Gibby rules. And you know what? Respect, that took a little bit of effort. I appreciate it. A modicum. A little bit. Just a, just a touch. Wow. Wow. Just the thought. It's too much yeah. to bear in these times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should mention, Matt, you brought up that tour. Uh, in the book, uh, he says all of the 90s tours, the dates and venues were planned around a proximity to their dealers. Not a shock. Mm. That was one of the least surprising revelations of the book. <laughs> all right. Up next, we've got Reload, the 12-inch version from the Reload Three, single. Two. Jump in my 
All right, so we're in Filth Pig. And once you get here, coming off of that run, it's a different experience. Even though that the sound is 100% ministry, but the lock into the electronic side is starting to wane. And the merge into... The ministry sounds still there, but he's dropped some of the electronics, which made me love ministry to begin with. You know, there isn't a whole lot of samples happening in the songs anymore. Drum machines are kind of cut to nothing. As you said at the beginning in the book, it's like it's more real guitar sounds instead of synth guitars or cut up guitars and things like that. And it's good, but it's not what I want from the band, but they could give a fuck about that and good on them. So in the book, he talks about that this is like some of the worst experience of his life with this record. Um, He said, uh, God, I can't even listen to that record today. It's so dark. It was done under the influence of 99.9% heroin. There wasn't much coke there. I would just not out, wake up, not out, wake up. I was depressed. I was going through a divorce. It was just darkness. And the thing that he talks about a lot in the book is that he has, through all of his drug use and everything, he still has this hard scrabble blue collar work ethic. So he's like, I'm constantly working. Chicago born and bred, baby. Yeah. Well, no. So Al is originally from Cuba. What? Yes. Al is originally from Cuba. And he was, his family was forced out by Castro in the 60s. They moved to Miami. They lived in, and when they were in Cuba, they were living high on the hog. They moved to America. They're poor. And then basically his family, uh, his mother eventually met his stepfather and they moved to Chicago. And he was very resentful about that. He was away from his grandmother, who he loved. And, uh, and so that, but then basically being forced to be at nothing, starting over from zero, instilled in him a great work ethic. And he's pointed out that, you know, he's constantly making albums. You could count on a ministry album every two years, always happening. And, uh, yeah. And if not that, then a side project and something like that. So he, you know, he, yeah, he's constantly creating, constantly making stuff. So even in the, like, deep into this drug use he's still like it is funny that he yeah he'd be deep into this drug use and still be like gotta gotta make this record <laughs> gotta pull this thing out but i remember hearing reload uh back uh yeah back when when this record came out and thinking it sounded pretty pretty sick and but then when you hear the other stuff it definitely sounds like it's less adorned it doesn't have the samples and it's it's like a blander version and it makes sense like if he was really going through it you know if anything he, he probably was like eh, it's done let's get it out jenny here's what'd you the, think uh, of, oh. i'm sorry here's the quote from al that's probably in the book everyone hated filth pig they all wanted psalm 70 and i gave them an electronic free record full of gun and mouth dirges of nothing but pain aside from the cover art the humor was gone all that was left was the misery and i still had to tour the fucking thing which went down in history as the mo- as the interminable interminable intolerable absolutely depraved sphinctor 
Yep, that's in the book, yeah. Jenny, what what did you think of Reload? It definitely was a shift in tone, but I didn't dislike it. I think maybe because electronic music isn't really what resonates with me immediately, is it isn't my my top go-to. It probably didn't hit me as hard as somebody who was like, what I really like about this is that electronic aspect. So I enjoyed it. It felt like, it. I guess in a way it felt a little heavier, but I don't know if that's right. In some sense it felt, it sounded a little heavier to me, but I don't think that it is actually heavier than any of the the earlier thing. It just had a different different vibe. It definitely has a different vibe, and I think it's it's definitely more discordant and less of a groove. I think that's another big part of it, um, which, yeah, I, I definitely could see why I connected it connected to it as I did. I mean, I, I definitely say, like, at the time, I remember thinking it was, like, sick as fuck, and then hearing it now, I'm like, eh, maybe not so sick as fuck. So I think we're ready to... I think we're ready to dive into this next one. All right, let's do it. Up next, we've got, and apparently Reload was from Filth Pig as well, which I didn't realize. So I learned something today. We're still in the Filth Pig zone, and we've got Lay Lady Lay, which is a, of course, (laughs) Bob Dylan cover. There was ever an audio middle finger to longtime fans. This might be it. Interesting. So, Matt, you do not like this. I don't like this at all. So, there's very little about this cover in the book. I mean, they talk about the making of the album, but they don't really talk about this song in particular. And for me... This was this was an 89X staple. This thing The first time I heard this was was on 89X. This thing And I was like, yeah. "Oh no, ministry's over." Well, here's the funny thing though. This thing ruled the top 9 at 9 for I want to say a couple months. This thing was like number 1 with a bullet every night. And That's what crazy. I th- what I think it was is I think it was the hardcore ministry fans who were old school 89X. They were just calling it in every day. And for me, I have always had great affection for this song. I remember thinking it sounded pretty cool at the time. And so I don't even know if I could really be like objective about it. I definitely can see where you're coming from, Matt. But like for me, like this song is honestly like this is like listen like I feel like I'm back in like my like my childhood bedroom when I hear this song. This song takes me back in like a really specific way. And so I just, I love it. 
This is honestly one of my favorite songs on the album. Uh, Jenny, what do you think of this one? I saw this on the track list before I heard it, and I went, oh boy, what the fuck is this going to be? And I was pleasantly surprised, given now what I have heard from the rest of this record and what I know about Ministry fans, I can see how this would be absolutely terrible <laughs> for for you. Um, <laughs> but for me, I was just like, all right. Like, I think one of the gifts of coming into a greatest hits record without a whole lot of background on a band is like, yeah. you don't have expectations. You don't feel like I didn't feel a nostalgic pull to anything. So it was pretty easy for me to just kind of like bop through and be like, Oh, I see how this has changed. Okay. Oh, interesting. This is a different direction. Cause I, I don't have like any stakes in this game, you know? So by the time we got here, I was just like, all right, sure. We're doing this now. Nothing more new metal than a cover. So, <laughs> but I can imagine being on, on the other side of this being like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. This thing ruled 89 X top nine and nine for what felt like forever. It felt like you'd be listening and like all your favorite songs would be in there. And then it'd be like, once again, number one ministry lady. <laughs> I was like, okay, all right. They're clearly super popular. As I said earlier, I did eventually pick up filth pig and it sucks a whole lot. I ended up selling it back. I don't know if it necessarily is a used bin staple. I don't really tend to find too many ministry albums in general uh, when I'm when I'm uh, big thrifting. I was big thrifting today. It, it was a used bin staple at the time, mm-hmm. but I I think it dried out. I think time has been kinder to Filth Pig than the moment was. Mm-hmm. Because I do think there was a lot of people like me who were expecting another, like, Psalm 69, something in that vein. They've been growing in that sound for a while. And he's like, no, I'm interested in doing this now, which is fine. But it was like, oh, this is a note to me to let me know that, like, I'm going someplace. You can come with me, but uh, I'm going anyways, so... Mm-hmm. if you don't i don't i really don't give a shit <laughs> which is which is fine but it was like oh okay there's other bands i'll see you later so this is the final robert christ guy review um and he said about filth pig as a joke about disco and a joke about heavy l jorgensen's dance industrial had some wit to it here the motherfucker realizes that metalheads will throw money at you long after your hip cachet has gone the way of your hard on Result, not counting the funnier-than-shit Lay Lady Lay, a grindcore album worth hating. C. We are entering a new era. This is the Dark Side of the Spoon era. And the first song is Supermanic Soul. Shut it up. 
So this is a song that, for me, has not aged well with time. I remember thinking this was like a sick ripper when I got this album. And uh, now it's it's so stripped down that it doesn't even have a hook. It's just like three minutes of that drum beat and screaming over top of it. And yeah, not great, in my opinion. Matt? Yeah, I mean, you hear earlier in the track list uh stigmata and then you hear this and you're like yes i understand it's the same band like the trappings are there but stigmata is such a better song than than this but i had i was a little softer on the dark side of the spoon stuff i still hate filth pig i still think filth pig is bad Whereas this is at least more listenable to me now. But I think it's totally irrational and completely emotional with with Filth Pig. Mm. Jenny, what'd you think of this song? I thought this song was only okay, but I have to tell you, my dog usually sleeps in the room that we record in while we're recording, and... He's been sleeping like a peaceful little pup. And I will tell you when this song started, I noticed some movement out of the corner of my eye and I looked over and his little tail was bopping. (laughs) So (laughs) my my dog loves Supermanic Soul. I thought it was just okay, but puppy approved. Puppy approved. In the uh, in the book, Al talks about his drug use while making Dark Side of the Spoon. He said that album was done with major, major amounts of heroin, but the coke came back too. That's the only way I could get through the record. I'd shoot up some heroin and pass out. Then I'd shoot up coke so I could get up and keep working. It was really demoralizing. Sounds about right. Yeah, this one I just remember hearing these songs on uh, this song and the next song on a. Uh, comcast music choice that was the only place i ever heard these songs they'd show up on the alternative and the i think it was just the alternative music channel that they had and i was like oh ministry's back and and then i saw that album cover and i was like our ministry back <laughs> so we got one more from this record we from sh- from dark side of the spoon yes we do and that is bad blood well, before we do that, how respectful of our time is this Greatest Hits? This Greatest Hits record comes in at 75 minutes and 12 seconds. It's a long one. It is. As is this. This episode. Yeah. I, I feel like, though, when you're dealing with the Greatest Hits, you got a lot of ground to cover. And I think that's kind of, you know that grow, going in. Is that True. it's not an album. It's, it's a journey. You're going to get up to date it came out the career that's the idea so i mean he's since made many more albums if he were to make another greatest hits or another greatest fits it'd be double disc baby so true true something to think about right. and uh matt i you're i don't know if you know this though the version of bad blood that's on streaming is different from the version on the physical copy Oh. Yeah, the only thing that's available is this alternate mix. Well, let me uh let me do this. There we go. 
So I think this song's pretty sick. This one, this feels like it can hang with a lot of the older stuff, I think. Uh, I like how the guitar sounds here. It's kind of like weirdly twisted and strangled sounding. Yeah, this song's a ripper. I, I really like Bad Blood a lot. Also, it's on the Matrix soundtrack. And according to songmeanings.com, every single person on that website got into ministry from the Matrix soundtrack. <laughs> so, uh, so smart placement on their part. For sure. Matt, what do you think of Bad Blood? I mean, it's undeniable ministry. It's them doing what they do. I like this one. I mean, it, it is of the DNA of the earlier stuff. I don't know if it's because it's not as locked in as the earlier ones. Like, this feels much looser than some of the other earlier ministry tracks. But this seems true to the ministry DNA. I mean, how could you say it's not? I, I think I, you'd be hard-pressed. You hear this, and if you don't think ministry, I, I don't know what band you would be thinking of. Absolutely. Jenny, thoughts on Bad Blood? I liked it quite a bit. I love the Squealy Boys. I could imagine getting into this, listening to the Matrix soundtrack, if I had done such a thing. But... Missed opportunity, Jenny. I know. I have gotten, gotten into it. I have a few friends who are like, if you aren't into the Matrix, then you cannot be my friend. So I just remained silent. One of them stood up at my wedding. Ooh, wow. <laughs> wow. I know he doesn't listen to the podcast, so it doesn't matter that I said oh. that. But he's just like, how can people well. not be super into the Matrix? And I'm just like fully neutral. Fully neutral. Yeah. Well, there you go. So, like we said, Robert Kreisgau stopped reviewing Ministry Records after Filth Pig. He said, enough's enough. But that didn't stop Rolling Stone magazine from reviewing Ministry Records. And uh, the writer Neva Shonen reviewed the record. She gave it two out of five stars and said, Ministry's L. Jorgensen hasn't updated his methodology since 1992's brilliant Psalm 69, in which he and collaborator Paul Barker synthesized agro discro agro disco agro disco beats and heavy metal instrumentation into the ultimate in industrial dance music 1996 filth pig merely plotted in its predecessors tracks now dark side of the spoon sinks into the same complacent rut from the stentorian rhythms and predictably ghoulish vocal samples to the bellowed doomsday incantations and chugging wall of guitars everything here feels like a reflex Especially irksome is the hectoring, more decadent-than-thou formula that leads Jorgensen to sneer, I'd like to apologize to all my wonderful fans for sticking by me through such troubled times. I love all of you so much, I wish I could take you all to the Betty Ford Clinic. Spoon is the sound of a great band slipping into a self-induced coma. When Jorgensen wails, I always wake up angry because I always wake up me from Eureka Pile. The only plausible response is to hit the snooze button. Wow. wow got him that's a got him that's a got him so here we are you guys on the final track of the greatest bits of ministry that's right it's not even a ministry song it's not but hey hey here we hey. go it's an al jorgens in project that's right project project hey we're doll. We're- Sorry, I was eating ham during that part. Who isn't? I've been eating Who ham isn't? this whole. Oh, 
Thanksgiving ham left. Oh, yeah. Same. Same. <laughs> Maddie Hammy? Yeah, I'm right here. Home. We're all eating ham all the time. We're, that's We're all having that's it. Just shoving hams. When, when we write our tell-all book about behind the scenes Oh, shit. Roach yeah. Coat. Roach coat shoving hams. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. completely powered by ham. Uh, all right. The last track on this record, Super Knot, which is a Black Sabbath cover. Practically every one of the top 40 records being played on every radio station in the United States is a communication to the children to take a trip, to cop out, to groove. The psychedelic jackets on the record albums have their own hidden symbols and messages as well as all the lyrics of all the top rock songs. And they all sing the same refrain. It's fun, fun to, to take, take a trip. Put it in your veins. a teapot i'm short and stout here is my handle and here's my spout when i get steamed up you'll hear me shout you tip me over and you pour me out it's true teapot ah classic classic class the real ones now the real ones now Oh boy, this this cover. So originally so done for one of Al's many solo side projects, 10,000 homo, homo DJs. Thousand homo DJs. Uh, initially recorded with Trent Reznor, his label would not let uh, not let them use his vocals. So Al had to just do it without his vocals. And apparently the version with his vocals can now be heard on the new Wax Tracks compilation box set. So if you want to hear it with Trent vocals, that's where you need to go. But this version is actually a re-recorded. So they initially done this for one of the Nativity in Black, Black Sabbath tribute albums. And then they re-recorded it basically ministry style for Greatest Fits. I love this so much that Riff is insane. Obviously, it's, you know, from Black Sabbath. And those guys, I don't know if you've listened to Black Sabbath lately, but those guys are pretty good. They're pretty good. They're pretty good. I've They're pretty tell. good. I've heard tell. That if you've heard about a little band called Black Sabbath, check out some of them records. Paranoid, Master Reality. You want to hear a little Trent vocal? Yes. Yeah. 
It's so close. It's close. It's close. You Jenny, can hear it. Oh, yeah. It's close. It's close. Jenny, what did you think of this cover? I thought it was an interesting way to end the greatest hits record. <laughs> I could have done without it if I'm being totally honest, which I am. So there it is. There it is. More of that classic Jenny, Jenny honesty. honesty. Jenny wow. honesty. I know. I know. The hottest takes. <laughs> Didn't care for it. Watch out. <laughs> Someone probably swerved off the road when I said that. <laughs> Matt, where, where do you where do you stand on this cover? Oh, I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. The, but it's it's much more nostalgic dancing at city club and singing teapot than it is even the song and the mm. song is passable at best it's fine Ooh. i mm. mean the the song is great but the cover is passable at best i mean it's just a fine cover mm. well i love i love i love it i love it i love it first time i heard it in college i was like this is incredible uh, yeah, and then I think this re—I think this re-recorded version is even better. I think they, they beefed it up in all the right ways. So, um, yeah, big fan. For me, I was like, yeah, that's the way you ran the record for me. And then actually, and I think in 08, they did a whole album of covers called Covered Up. And it has this on, it has Lay Lady Lay, and then a bunch of other covers. And that record is, I think it's the last Ministry record that I listened to. That one's that was pretty good. That's that's a near front to backer, as I remember it. And that's the album. That's the greatest fits from Ministry. Obviously, not new metal, so we're not going to put it in the canon. But let's talk about it. As uh, I guess this is the part where we talk about uh, gift g- talk. Give a give a gift talk. Gift talk. And uh, Matt, we'll start with you. You pick this as the gift, and what a gift it was. Truly. I mean, I think we uh, we all enjoyed it in our own way. I think it's a good gift. I think if you're um, curious, if you have somebody in your life who's curious about what industrial music was all about, you can give them this and they will know whether to explore further or stop where they are. That That's fair. Jenny... You've been, you were gifted Greatest Fits. How do you feel? Uh, I feel great. I liked it very much. You know, it made me say, maybe I'll explore ministry a little bit more. So, thank you for the gift. There you go. I have to say, diving back into ministry after a long drought was very nice. Um, Reading the book about Al gave me a lot of insight into... Uh, the mind of somebody very different from myself, <laughs> to say the least. What? Yeah, and, what? Yeah, a little bit. You know what, guys? I know I seem like a bit of a, a loose cannon on this show at times, but um, I'm nothing compared to Al. I'm nothing compared to Al. Uh, so yeah, this was this is a great gift, and definitely gives you a strong overview of the prime, really the prime era of the band. Uh, according to Al in the book, which let me tell you, really, if you're giving the gift of greatest fits, giving the book with it is a perfect combo. Al believes that his best music 
was and is still ahead of him. And he feels that the run, when the record, the book came out was 2013. And he had done a, a run of albums uh, criticizing Bush 2. And uh, he feels like some of those records are some of the best things that he's ever done. Also, he was clean uh, when he did those records, uh, except for alcohol. Uh, he shifted to drinking, and that almost killed him. But it hasn't yet. It hasn't <laughs> yet. <laughs> He is, uh, he's frankly unstoppable as far as I can tell. He is a cockroach of a man. He is. He is. With this, I have to say, though, like my my great affection, though, is still honestly with the covers. Lay Lady Lay and, uh, and uh, Super Knot are still always going to be my favorites. But, I mean, I have, I mean, Lay Lady Lay is a strong nostalgic pull, like forever. It's, it's kind of crazy. Like listening to it just took me back. Like, I almost thought, like, I'm listening to this on my stereo, and it sounds really good, but really, shouldn't I be listening to this on, like, my clock radio right now? Like, isn't that the way I should be listening to this song out of some mono speaker? So, uh, yeah, but this was, this was a great trip back. Matt, thank you for your gift. Thank you for receiving it. Thank you so much. And uh, that does bring us to the end of our episode. Thank you so much for listening. Keep on saying hello to us online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, send us an email, roachcoachpodcast at gmail.com. The gift giving continues next week. It's a gift of the greatest hits from me. So that's, a, that's, that's the, the hint you get. And on until next time, Jenny. Thank you. Lauren, thank you. Matt. Matt. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.